Good to be back with you. Garen Emig and Bill Haston, a couple of sports columnists from the Tulsa World here to entertain you uh, via video at TulsaWorld.com. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast version, audio only, courtesy of Google, Apple, and Spotify. Bill, since we last spoke, we have spring practice commencing at Oklahoma State in Oklahoma. We have a new basketball coach at the University of Tulsa. Yeah. The final four in place now involving uh, Kansas for the Big 12 Conference, plus an interesting matchup on the other side of the draw. A couple of uh, programs we, folks may have heard of. Did, I, plus, I don't know uh, uh, if you saw it. You, you probably did uh, because there wasn't much else going on, and it was riveting. But the UConn women's game? Oh, last night. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that was something. I got to tell you uh, – the women's final four is really good too, and but I'm telling you, this is the first time I have ever rooted for UConn. Uh, they had a rough, by their standards, a rough season. You know, right. best player missed what half or two thirds maybe of the season, and it was not a classic, typical win by 35 every night UConn season. And for some weird reason, I've just kind of turned. And I feel like I'm kind of rooting for Ariema to win this one. Oh man, you said the magic word, Ariema. Uh, I, I'm okay with the guy. I mean, I only had one sit down with him, and he was, uh, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't not a warm guy, but, but, uh, but, you know, those, yeah. their kids have battled, and here they are, and Paige Becker's back, and, yeah. And she came back from my back. How about that, though, to come back in season from a fractured kneecap and a torn ligament? And in season, she sustains it and comes back and scores 27 to go to the final four. So, mm-hmm. Good stories on both genders. That's uh, true. This weekend, yeah. Hopefully we'll see some good games. I, I bet we do. Um, tell you what, let's get back to college basketball a little bit. I do want to circle back to Eric Conkles hiring at TU because I know you were there for the party they threw on his behalf uh, several days ago. I've been chasing uh, spring football in Norman and Stillwater a little bit. And a uh, topic that I know is always interesting to you when it comes to the Cowboys is Mike Gundy, not just what he says about his team, but how he is toward his administration, that seems that's almost more interesting to check in and, and see how he feels about the support he's got there in Stillwater. We know it's different to him than it used to be with the arrival of Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg. And I suppose we see his latest contract revision as a sign of that comfort, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, what'd you make of that? Well, um, it, it, I'm able to separate the actual dollar amount from uh, the relationship component of the story, which is, you know, I, I do believe that, that uh, I don't believe Mike Gundy ever had a, a, a patchy, I don't think there were rough patches with Burns Hargis, but obviously for, for 10 plus years, Mike and Mike Holder were mm, either at odds mm-hmm. or, or fixing to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. One or the other. And, um, so I do believe that Mike Gundy is is exceedingly comfortable with the messages he's gotten from Casey Shrum and from Chad Weiberg, and he feels comfortable uh, about their commitment to sustaining OSU and to not just the status quo, but but to make it better and to do more with regard to facilities and improvements. Because like Kelly wrote yesterday about you know the forty million dollar uh, mm-hmm. renovation, which is going to result in touch ups around the stadium if. Would you think about the, the skyrocketing labor and materials costs? Uh, they built the whole South 
side of the stadium for 40 million. And now they're doing touch-ups for 40 million mm -hmm. for 18 years later. So, uh, but you know, the Mike Gundy uh, money is going to even out at about seven and a half million. There's only seven other coaches in the country at that level of, as we speak anyway, mm -hmm. at that level of money. And so, uh, and the other places have stadiums that seat 80,000, 90,000 at A&M, 100,000. Um, cause Jimbo Fisher's on that list. So, uh, you know, you have to separate, well, does Mike deserve to be paid like an elite coach? I say, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. But does Gary Nemec deserve to be paid a half million dollars a year? Yeah. But the Tulsa world can't pay Gary Nemec a half million dollars a year. I, I mean, you know what I mean? And, and, and for that matter, uh, Tulsa can't <laughs> afford to pay a basketball coach a million and a half dollars like it did for a while there. They don't have the money. So it does make me wonder uh, whether Mike Gundy might lead the nation now with regard to compensation as it pertains to the percentage of the overall athletics budget. Mm -hmm. You're talking about eight, nine percent of the entire budget going to one person, one person. Uh, that would be far greater than the Southern Cal situation with Lincoln or even Alabama with Saban uh, with regard to, you know, what percentage of the pie goes to one person. Mm -hmm. um, so that part of it, you know, my first question when he, when he got raised to 5 million and now when he's raised uh, beyond seven is can OSU really afford this or are they going to pass the burden on to ticket prices mm -hmm. and is is that it can the OSU people expect you know big spikes in ticket prices I don't know uh and maybe you know it, it's something I would love to sit down with Chad and talk about and get deeper into the numbers and into the weeds on on this but um you know Mike took a pay cut uh in the right. wake of t-shirt incident so in, in a sense this is a restoration of him back to where he was in money and then this retention uh, bonus uh, takes him to that, you know, seven and a half million dollar. You call it what you will. You can call it a retention or a bonus or, or a, uh, whatever you want to call it. It's still compensation. Sure. It puts him in an elite class. I'll never forget talking with him on the practice field 11 years ago about salaries and, um, uh, uh, you know, at that time, he was underpaid, definitely underpaid. And we decided that Bobby Petrino's money at the time, Mike and I decided that Petrino's money was was a fair amount for Mike. And Petrino was making three and a half at the time. And so we are beyond that by twice as much, only 10 years later, 11 years later. So, um, yeah, it surprised me uh, just because, you know, I know I feel like I have a pretty decent feel for OSU finances. And that's a lot of money. Yep. So they're going to, you know, the the Big 12 guarantee after Texas and OU, uh, critically important for the OSU people to still put 52,000, 53, 54,000 people in that stadium every week because that's how they make their bread over there. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you what, you mentioned Texas and OU. No, I tell you what this does is it puts Gundy at the top of the heap in the Big 12 on, on uh, in this regard in terms of compensation and I wonder, to me, there's the money a coach gets is always a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, you always want to feel like you're getting your just due. 
it's an ego-driven profession. So I don't think I've ever heard of a coach turn down a raise opportunity. I get, I get that. It's fair market, all that stuff. But here's the, the flip side is that it does give the other side ammunition, right? If things don't go as well as forget the coach, talking about the fans now and the, and the ticket buyers and the donors, it just gives them more another another bullet to fire if if something goes sideways. And uh, when you have a, a dollar figure that you're not used to seeing attached to an Oklahoma State coach of any sport, that's one thing. When you have a dollar figure you're not seeing another coach in the conference attached to, including OU in Texas, that's a whole different game. And I, again, this is not to say that Mike Gundy doesn't deserve the raise. This isn't to say I'm not cheap. I'm not cheapening his accomplishments. In particular, the, the last you know five to eight years, we actually dating back to 2011. I get it, but there's always a rub with him. It seems with a certain percentage of the fan base or donor base, and I think he might feel that rub on the chance that there is an underachievement or an underperformance, which is almost inevitable in a coach's cycle. And and so that that season will come, and it'll be interesting to see where what when people do with that 7.5 million then. Right. Well, I mean, Mike capitalized in a big way after the 2011 season with the Big 12 and the Bedlam, Big 12 championship Bedlam victory. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, Bedlam victory uh, comes up six inches short in the championship game, but finishes in the best possible way against Notre Dame. And hadn't really tied those two together. Mike should try to play in the Fiesta Bowl every year. <laughs> Big raise every time he does it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it surprised me. Uh, it didn't surprise me that that his money was restored back to where it was on schedule to have been right, over, right, Garen. But but the the million dollar retention, mm-hmm. bonus, uh, that part of it surprised me for sure. But Mike turns fifty, believe it or not, because in my mind's eye, I can still see Mike Gundy uh, as a really young guy. And he's still a youthful, healthy guy, obviously. Uh, but I mean, so but Mike Gundy has been in in the minds and eyes of Oklahomans for thirty, really thirty-seven years, mm-hmm. eight years, whatever, since he was the Player of the Year at Midwest City. Uh, so, believe it or not, Mike Gundy this year turns fifty-five. I can believe it. I'm his age. Qualifies for AARP this year. Don't, you didn't have to say that because you're talking in my. Now you're talking about me. <laughs> so, uh, but he 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 has on a couple of occasions though. Uh, when I was on the beat, and I would get those walk back to the stadium after practice talks with Mike, and he was always adamant about this. I will not coach at 60. I will not coach yeah. at 60. Well, at that time, you think, well, that's so far in the future, you know, that it's not a consideration, really. That's forever away. Well, okay. If he stands by that, that means, what, four more Gundy seasons? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this this $7.5 million a year burden on the athletic department may not be a – you know, ten or fifteen year condition, right? Short lived, and then you, and then if Mike does in fact retire at fifty nine or before he turns sixty, mm-hmm. um, then you hire Zach Robinson at half that, and you keep, and you just roll into the next era. Is what you do. 
I'll say this. Uh, I saw him before OSU's first spring practice last week and wrote the column before the news of the uh, the contract mm-hmm. came out. He he seems as fresh as ever, man. He's – he I, again, I – it's not just Weiberg, right? It's not just the Notre Dame, you know, carryover. Uh, and, and, and really, it's not just what happened last season with a bunch of guys he genuinely enjoyed coaching. I, I just think he is really found. And, and it's funny to say this just a couple of years after we all wondered if he was going to stick, if he was going to be the OSU's coach after, as you put it, the, uh, the T-shirt incident. It's amazing the pivot. Right. And, and and the fact that he's gotten back in so many good graces over there and seems to uh, seems to be in a really good place. Um, speaking of seems to be in a good place, let's transition to Brent Venables over at Oklahoma. And again, Bill, when you listen to Brent talk, you, you're catching tidbits of information regarding how the Sooners might look this spring and some decisions on personnel. And we're all curious about se- several of those because it's obviously a new era for, for OU. But with Brent, as with Mike, you're, you're to, to me, you're just as interested in his projection, sort of how he how he feels about things, and how much he enjoys his new lot in life over there in Norman. You, he, he, to me, every time he speaks to reporters, it's like you know the kid on December 25th, right? He's just, I can you believe I've got this job? Can you believe I'm finally doing this this thing here? So. Um, this is a this is an extended honeymoon period, I, I think, still going on for for Venables. It won't continue, obviously, because something eventually will go wrong, and OU will st- struggle in a game next fall at some point. But right now, um, it's easy to sort of it's easy to sort of track with uh, with his good vibes. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it just I knew it would take a few weeks or months for the wound to start to heal at OU. And and then the hiring of Brent was the perfect play for OU. I mean, you, I I don't know anybody who could disagree with that now. Um, So his energy, his message, I guess he's a, I guess he's a handful to transcribe, but man, if that's the only, uh, if that's the only complaint, <laughs> but that's a that's a that's a weak little uh, journalism joke. There. Industry uh, industry talk is what that is. Yeah, but but I mean, every every move. I, I like the staff. I like the energy. I like Brent's messages. I love uh, that. Um, whether it was an intentional counteract to Lincoln's uh, having a moat around the program. And uh, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say a culture of paranoia, but certainly a culture of, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like loosey-goosey like it. And it never was totally loosey-goosey with Bob. But I remember going to a lot of practices on, when I was on that beat. I mean, like, not just glimpses of, but practice. I remember attending, like, uh, game week practices on Mondays and we they would let us watch like the last 45 minutes of the Monday practice on game week and then we would have availability after that and so for Brent to open it up last week and let uh what what did that y'all get to watch close to an hour 45 yeah, minutes I mean it and it wasn't real it wasn't consequential but then nothing those guys do in the spring is consequential no 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 it's not about that it's about just, just we're gonna chill a little bit you're and, right no you're right 
no, I, I thought that was a great play. Uh, you know, how are they going to be uh, really offensively? I mean, that's the football question uh, that we, we just can't know until whatever you see on spring football, uh, spring game day, wash that away because those spring games are not, never indicators of anything. Never. I've seen guys who look like, you know, lottery picks in the spring game, and then they don't even get on the field uh, in the fall. So um, we won't know until the season how that offense will click with uh, the first – He this kid's the first lefty quarterback, right, since, since Heupel. Since Josh yeah. Heupel, right. Yeah. Um, not very many lefty quarterbacks in OU history at all. In fact, I was texting with Dean Blevins about that a while back. Um, so, you know, does Dylan Gabriel surrounded by uh, A-list uh, skilled guys take him to that level? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Because uh, he, uh, you know, he was 0-2 against Tulsa when he was at UCF. Now And now he's expected to run the table at OU. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's quite a big assignment. But that's why we went there, though, right? Yeah. No. That. We'll, uh, we'll hear from Gabriel, the media, for the first time uh, in a session tomorrow. So it will be our first crack to get a sense of how he's felt about the transition and settling in and reuniting with Jeff Levy and whatnot. Um, Bill, eventually, we'll hear again from Philip Montgomery at TU. The Hurricane will have their spring game three weeks, I think, before TU or uh, OSU's and OU's. They're both scheduled for April 23rd. Uh, yeah, TU's is... Uh... Or is it two? No, TU's is two weeks prior. And yeah. The TU's is uh, uh, in 10 days. Okay. Yeah, it's like the ninth. Two weeks ahead of schedule. Yeah, two weeks ahead of the other two schedule. Um, for the purpose of current events, I wanted to ask for any lingering uh, thoughts and, and uh, feelings about what you saw at the Eric Conkle introduction. Uh, last time you and I did this, we, we, I, don't, I think we named a few names of possible Though, yeah, I don't remember Eric's coming across the grid. He didn't come across my phone really until about I think the first time he was introduced to me as a possibility. Garen was about maybe the Thursday night of the week of that process, which would have been like day five, and then but but all not really like a lookout for Eric Conkle just as a guy, as a name. And then by Saturday, uh, one of three, Conkle was one of three. And then by Sunday, it was all pretty much finished. By Sunday, he was in a room with Brad Carson and Rick Dixon. And, and uh, by the end of that meeting, Tulsa had a new basketball coach, Eric Conkle, K-O-N, K-O-L. Um, and I got a call uh Basically, the message from a Power 5 assistant was A-plus person, A-plus mm -hmm. basketball IQ, great guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and these two, he had worked with Eric at one of Eric's previous stops. And, gotcha. And, you know, and so for this person to reach out and make it known that, uh, you know, y'all should be really impressed and pleased if you can really pull this off. So, uh, but, but the, the event on Tuesday at the rental center, uh, last, was it Tuesday? Anyway, it was it, the, the event at the rental center the other night, 
uh, was uh, honestly when I arrived at the rental center, Garen, it was cold and it was light rain, and Tulsa had had a poor season, and morale was flatlined. and And I thought honestly, and I knew it was an open to the public event, and I thought there might be fifty fans here. There might be a lot of university people, but there might not be more than 50 fans here. And I walked in there and could not believe what I saw. And uh, the the final headcount wound up being somewhere between 500 and 600 fans who showed up for that. Tulsa served wine, beer, soda, good food. Uh, there were merchandise giveaways. There were streamers. There were balloons. The band played. Uh, the band was actually there and played. Uh, Brad Carson rolls out the, uh, we think we just hired a Mount Rushmore coach. I'm like, wow. Uh, a lot of pressure, Eric Cockle. Uh, but I, it, was, it, was, it was the most impressive event I've ever attended or covered, non-game event I've ever attended or covered on that campus. And, uh, and it was very interesting too, and I thought of you too, because, uh, one of the people that Eric Conkle uh, had a pr private brief, but pri private brief talk with after the Q&A part was Booker T coach Eli Brown. And so it's so critically important for TU to yeah. reconnect with Tulsa high schools. Sure. And where do you start with Booker T? That's where you start. And, mm -hmm. and Memorial, Booker T and Memorial, that's where you start. And uh, and then Eli Brown message uh, tweets after that event, Garen, I'm excited for the direction of Tulsa basketball, yeah. and that didn't cost TU one cent. Yep, with that kind of marketing, really. So great first uh, impression, great first few days, Eric Conkle. Uh, now you see what you have with regard to roster mm -hmm. retention, roster rebuilding, portal activity. Um, so we'll see within a month or so, we should have some clarity on the roster and then scheduling and then, um, but you won't have to, uh, wonder what Conkle's doing. I think he's going to be really active around town and really visible and accessible. And, um, I just, I think after a really, um, demoralizing last, uh, season of TU basketball in an empty arena. Uh, I just I just think this guy, and, and I think too, I'm hearing too that the, the benefits are immediate with regard to fundraising, reaction from donors and, and alumni and Hurricane Club memberships and all of it. It just feels like they hit every note correctly that night and that it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. So yeah. Great hire. I, it, Appears to have been a great hire. Yeah, and I want to get back real quick to something you said a little while ago about the number and attendance. It wasn't just the weather that night, but you and I spoke in the run-up to the the decision that Dixon made about you, you. You feel pretty automatic about winning a press conference when you bring back someone like Pooh Williamson, Mike Anderson, a connection to, to the, the you know the glory years, so to speak. You guy won't have to work that hard. You bring back Louisiana Tech's head coach that I doubt anyone in the city could tell you who that was before the announcement came that he was the guy. And you still draw that kind of a crowd. Now, again, credit to you as marketers for putting on a great show. I, I hear you. But but to me, that also speaks to the to – the, this – to you, basketball is still – we have to be reminded of this given the last, geez, 
I don't know, 15 years <laughs> and the looks of the, the looks of the stands in that gym. But TU basketball remains a very big deal in this city. It remains a very big deal to the TU community. Right. And they, they will back, they'll back you if you give them, it doesn't matter who you are or who you're connected to. You give them a reason to be, to get behind the program. It, they'll get behind the program. That's all there is to it. This, this is still to me the, the the window into the university. It's not it's not football. It's basketball to you, and uh, that kind of a turnout for a guy that again none of those folks could have even heard of uh, twenty four hours earlier uh, leads me to believe that. So now it's now it now it's up to Conkle to take advantage, I guess, of, of his uh, his graceful start. Right. Well, he'll uh, e- even at the at the end of the media part of that event. Uh, I mean, everything Tulsa did was perfect that night. And but Ethan Conkle is Eric's Eric Conkle's older son. He turned 13 that day. So toward the at the end of the QA part of it, uh, two TU cheerleaders come out from behind the curtain. One of them has a beautiful cake, the other one has a gift. Uh, and all five or six hundred people sang happy birthday to that kid and and Bruce Howard on the mic says, Ethan, this is a 13th birthday you'll never forget. And that's how it ended. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. It was a sweet moment. Great mm-hmm. moment. Perfect. Perfect. Stra- uh, and I was asking around who exactly is responsible for this production. I, I want to give them credit. And they said, really, it's a group deal. Apparently, Brian Cicillo and Associate AD had a big role in planning the look of it and uh but you could tell that literally everybody in the athletic department had their fingerprints on it because they were scurrying around and getting stuff in place and it was a big production man right there on the floor of the rental center it wasn't in the presidential suite it was in the court uh big curtain behind the podium the giant video board which really inside of the rental center is as prevalent as the video board at AT&T Stadium is mm-hmm. to that stadium, you know, from a physics standpoint. Right. And, and it, of course, it was all shown on the video board. And, and uh, it just, uh, it, I don't know, it, it, it's as perfect an introductory news conference yeah. as, 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 it's probably the best one I've ever attended, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. It's perfect. All right, a couple minutes left. You, you want to use them to offer our old friend Baker Mayfield any advice? Given, given given the bleep show that's going on with with him and the Cleveland Browns right now, right? I I, I can't. I wish I had said this out loud so that I could. Uh, but anyway, but I was thinking this already. But I heard an ESPN guy say this yesterday, and he's exactly right. And I was believing this already. Uh, but he but he said the guy on the ESPN conversation show, and I can't remember which guy it was. Um, um, but anyway, he said, really, are there 32 quarterbacks better than Baker Mayfield in the NFL? No, there are not. He will be a starter this year. And I believe that too. Now, where he lands is critically important and fascinating. Um, and you see him connected to this team or that team. But it's so important for him because, uh, you know, once you – are basically cast in the role of of a backup. It's kind of what you are. And uh, I can see Baker, if he chooses to, being in the league a long time, but whether he's in the league a long time as a starter, this season is 
immeasurably important for him. There's a change of scenery. Uh, although Stefanski at Cleveland, I'm a big fan of him, and, and I think they finally got it right. Yeah, for that part they did, for yeah. sure. But but for Baker to have sustained stability with a staff and not have Freddie Kitchens this today and Hugh Jackson yesterday and, and all that movement, and, and then and – then, it is true. It's not an excuse. I mean, he was cut to pieces uh, by injuries this year, and, and that non-throwing shoulder just, you know, even if it's a non-throwing shoulder, every time you get touched, much less slammed to the turf, it hurts, and, and pain affects a performance. And so mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he gets well. He gets with the right team. Uh, you know, he'll be back here in a few days, right, for the uh, – Statue and statue dedication at the OU spring game. Yeah, I uh, my thing with Mayfield is I I, I actually think he ha- he still has a shot to make something of this. And the fact that it, Bill, I don't, I just he's just not a franchise quarterback. I, I don't. I mean, w- he was a franchise college quarterback. I don't think he's a franchise NFL quarterback. He just isn't right. And well, you can that, you mean a, fr- a a guy who can be a starter, face of the franchise, everything, everything. A funnel funnel to him. Not not a start. Don't yeah, I don't I'm not saying starting quarterback. I'm saying this is the franchise now. And when you pick number one overall, whether you're a quarterback or a left tackle, that's your friend, there's your franchise guy. And I just don't think yeah, yeah I just don't think he he's you can I mean you can personality your way and will your way to to some things in the NFL, but but maybe I but you're you're playing with literally with other pros who a lot of whom are faster and stronger and bigger than you. And uh, that's the stuff that, that the attitude stuff that worked at Oklahoma, I just don't, it only goes so far in the, in the NFL. That being said, maybe he makes that work as I'm going to show you, right. Who, you know, I'm going to show the Browns in this case, what they're missed out on. And, and maybe as a, as a starting quarterback, uh, a helpful quarterback, not a franchise guy is what I'm saying. It's a little bit like Sam Bradford once upon a time, right. Did, did you get the same maybe impression there? We, as much as we fawned over Bradford as a college quarterback at Oklahoma, I just the mistake was thinking he was a franchise NFL guy, and I it just wasn't in his wheelhouse to be that. Right. So well, that's my opinion. So, no, I mean, the you always hear the phrase the it factor, and and the it kind of from person to person can vary. There can be some variance in what that mm-hmm. it is. Uh, but it always results in that person standing apart, being distinguished as uh, an alpha type, uh, like you say, the face of the place kind of a guy. Yeah. Uh, in football, and you, I mean, you may be right. I'm just thinking with regard to the ability to to function in an offense. Uh, to it, it, it is it was kind of a kind of a uh, an indictment when Odell Beckham left Cleveland and went to L.A. and flourished like he did, right? Right. His play call, I don't think that happens because you just call Odell's number. Sure. With frequency. I think it happens because there's a chemistry between Stafford and, and Odell Beckham, whereas for whatever reason, apparently there was not with Mayfield and, and Beckham. So I don't know. I mean – it was a great story for Mayfield to go from walk on to uh, prominence uh, in the Heisman at OU and to become what I think 
uh, I consider to have been the most popular player at OU in since 1999. Uh, I'm not even sure who would be a, in second place. I mean, Bradford would be my pick there. Well, I see. Oh man, I, I remember the man. You, the, I still remember Bradford walking yeah, off. You're right after the after his one of his spring scrimmages. And there were there were literally twenty thousand fans still there, and you know how bad a scrimmage is. By the time it you you wind down after about an hour and a half, and it's just the freshmen and walk ons, and they're not doing anything. There were twenty thousand fans who stuck around just to try to take pictures of Sam Bradford. I I, ne I didn't see that with Adrian Peterson. I didn't see that with Rocky Kalmus. I mean, I only go back to two thousand, but uh, I that was a phenomenon. I nothing like that until Mayfield came along to me. Right. You got uh, another idea? No, no. I mean, I mean, no, you're right about Sam. Because, I mean, plus Sam did what, well, Jason White did it too, but um, came back as the mm -hmm. reigning Heisman winner. Yeah, course, that's right. Gets hurt in the, in the uh, first football game ever played at AT&T Stadium. First football game ever played, I think, right? Uh, the Cowboys. Oh yeah, the BYU game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gosh, I think was it was that was that the first one? First actual tackle football game. I don't remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you, yeah. you, I think you're right, but I've forgotten that. Yeah. Unless, unless there, I don't think so though. I don't think there had been like a high school oh, game. No. I think it's first actual uh, game that counted at AT and T Stadium, and then he, uh, he goes down with the shoulder. And, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you're probably right. Sam, being an Oklahoma City kid and the reigning Heisman winner, um, and then coming up just short against Florida, you know, in the championship game. So, yeah, I could see that. But but with regard to, you know, if you think about this, the last glimpse that OU fans got of their beloved Sooners in person, they were watching Tyreek Hill run back a punt. <laughs> <laughs> right, and at that point, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, movement, not in, in the worst kind of movement at the quarterback <laughs> position. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and you get beat at home in Bedlam, and uh, uh, and then the next time that OU fans see the Sooners. Lincoln Riley's play calling it and Baker Mayfield, your quarterback. It wasn't official until August mm -hmm. that Baker was, but it, right. No, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. But so I think, I think Baker was the right guy at the right time, kind of a quarterback for a yeah. And, uh, and no doubt, I mean, wherever OU was on the swagger index, when Tyreek Hill was running that punt back, Baker put them right back where they mm -hmm. should have been. Uh, so he was the master of restoring swagger yeah. at, at OU, and he and Riley, no question, were had amazing chemistry. Yeah. You know, they go from uh, a really difficult, not very satisfying 2013, 2014 seasons to in the playoff. Mm -hmm. Right there, first year with Baker. So, yeah, I think Mayfield was far and away the most popular guy. Yeah. And now, more, I mean, Probably uh, because the sale of merchandise wasn't as prevalent, certainly 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, but probably more number six 
OU jerseys sold than any other, uh, maybe more than any other two combined yeah. uh, in OU merchandise sales history. So, yeah, uh, Baker Mayfield will always be a rock star here. Be interesting to see how many fans are wearing Gabriel jerseys at the end of next season uh, and along those lines, because there's you talk about an opportunity to sort of seize the moment at that position. He's that's right. If you want to if you want to gauge an approval rating on an athlete. Yeah, that's how to do it. Yeah. Are people willing to spend $49.99 or whatever, $79.99, <laughs> whatever a, a licensed jersey costs yeah. um, to wear the guy's gear? If yeah. they're willing to do that, then they love the guy. All right. I tell you what, we'll uh, pick up where we left off next week, a little more spring football talk. Maybe we'll know where Mayfield has landed by then. We'll see what his arc uh, presents us. Uh, and uh, today is a great day uh, for me personally because it's my first game uh, at One Oak. My, Every year, we got Bedlam baseball game, tonight. Well, you got Bedlam baseball tonight. So, so uh, I end up in a typical year. I'll go to between ten and fifteen, or sometimes close to twenty games altogether at One Oak, which is just my favorite ballpark. And so, um, weather uh, seems like uh, I guess we've got a chance to rain tomorrow, but not tonight. So we got baseball tonight at One Oak. So enjoy it. Yep. Cowboys, uh, Cowboys looking to make it eleven straight. Is that right, or is it twelve? They're, they're twelve coming, straight. Coming at eleven, yeah. And, and uh, Josh Holiday uh, is twenty-seven and nine against the Sooners all the time, and he, Josh Holiday, is eight and three at One Oak. Uh, and Josh always, I mean, he prioritizes winning at One Oak at a high, high level. He does. He thinks it's a very, it's very important to win in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and OSU is really good. I mean, yeah. statistically, uh, they're the best defensive team in the country. Uh, and their ERA is two runs better per game than the Sooners. So it looks going in like uh, like another OSU victory, but that's the beauty of baseball. Yep. You know, especially midweek baseball, because you have to kind of go directions with your pitching that you might not otherwise. Yep. All right. Well, eat it. Eat it. Game, right? Yeah. This is not a conference right. game. Right. This is an exhibition. All no right. <laughs> well, eat a eat a driller eat a driller dog for us. Oh. Uh, yeah. No. No doubt. I'm I'm really excited to be back at the ballpark. Yeah. Go. All right. Listen. Uh, thanks, Bill. Have fun tonight, uh, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. We will give you more of this next week. Please enjoy the weather and the spring. In the meantime.